Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. This week you've got myself and Nick, and we're talking about nothing for the most part. Um, there's not a whole lot going on at the box office, and with our first item, there's really not going to be a whole lot going on at the box office for the next several months. Uh, so Disney has pushed back pretty much their entire release date, which includes um, the Fox acquisitions as well. So, you know, the most present one will be uh, death on the nile which was supposed to release um here in a couple weeks um actually i think next week was its original date has been now been pushed to december black widow has been pushed into 2021 the whole marvel slate's been pushed quite a bit um a lot of the unknown movies that they still hadn't had announced they're on their calendar were pushed back a solid year um so this was a pretty big shift by disney um they are keeping soul and it's november uh 20th spot and they're also keeping free guy for right now uh which i stand i've been looking forward to that movie for a while uh but for the most part they have shifted everything back i would say the one bright note is that uh kingsman now releases two weeks earlier um so instead of becoming the new mutants and just being continually pushed back and pushed back i'd actually got a two-week bump on this so hopefully it won't end up in uh release hell like the new mutants was and i'm honestly convinced it still is i still don't believe that movie's real i've seen it and uh i, I still don't <laughs> yeah it's i've i was hoping for the best for the first man because i feel like every time we've seen stuff for that movie it looks really really cool uh, but yeah, also in that list of things getting moved back was Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which got pushed back an entire year. We're going to have to wait until next December for that one. And that was obviously supposed to be a big uh, awards uh, contender this year. Um, but we didn't really hear much about it. It was weird. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, this movie's coming, but we haven't heard any, really any news on it at all. And who knows even if they got finished filming on that one because it was a really big production. But Yes, that one's all the way back to it's yeah, it, there's it's really, really grim to look at the release schedule now. Uh, so I just want I actually just want to take us through through this because it just looks so sad for the rest of the year here in 2020. But in terms of looking at the release dates and getting rid of any like Netflix or any streaming releases, it, it just looks really, really depressing. So in October, uh, when you factor out all of your your Hubie Halloweens and your Manx and Rebecca's from Netflix. Really, the biggest movie to come out is probably The War with Grandpa, the latest <laughs> Robert De Niro cash grab, which makes me really sad. And there's uh, Honest Thief, which is another Liam Neeson thriller where he, old dude beating up people. Um, and then there's a Love and Monsters movie, which is a Dylan O'Brien movie, which I don't know if you're not excited for a Dylan O'Brien movie. I don't know what you're thinking of, but uh, so that's October. So. <laughs> We've got a really interesting month ahead of us in the, in the theaters. And then after that, in November, we still have a few. You mentioned uh, Pixar Solo, which has been rumored to possibly go to Disney+. Plus. Um, and that was really the only one that kept its date for Disney. So maybe they're still waiting on that one. And that'll probably go to Disney+. Plus. Make a, Probably make an announcement about that in the weeks to come. And you also have No Time to Die sticking to its November 20th date. Um, and you also have a happiest season, which is supposed to come out on Thanksgiving. It's kind of, that's sort of a, um, lesbian take on guess who's coming to dinner in a lot of sense, um, with Kristen Stewart's in that one that was tapped to be a really big Oscar contender as well. But those are really, that's really it for that. You have your Ammonites in there as well, kind of and run, which is supposed to be a Hulu movie. So it doesn't really count, but 
besides that, like, I don't really know if those movies are going to stay to their release dates too, but those are kind of the next ones on the slate that we're looking at in terms of what will these big movies do. Um, then you have December, where you mentioned Free Guy earlier, which is sticking to its spot. Um, Coming to America, which I haven't heard anything about that movie, so I can't even imagine that movie's going to stick to that release date. Um, yeah, then you have Death on the Nile and Dune also coming out on the 18th, so one of those three is getting moved at the very least, so I can't imagine those are sticking there. Um, then you have, on Christmas Day, you had News of the World, which is a Tom Hanks movie that there's also just been no buzz about, so who knows if that's finished or what's the deal with that, and Wonder Woman 1984. Um, but that's really it. Other than that, like, even... Uh, for Halloween, there's not really a bunch of big stuff coming out in theaters. You have really bad hair, which is coming out in Hulu. We saw it at Sundance, and that's kind of it. And it's it's just really, really sad to look at. And it's really just all on Netflix to just release big contact content that we're really interested in. Because it's just getting sadder and sadder. And cases are starting to creep back up here in the States. Uh, they're, they're come, And we're going towards flu season again, so who the hell knows? But... It's getting really, really weird again. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and it's definitely it's disappointing going into October because, uh, you know, we were supposed to get Halloween Kills, uh, which is a sequel to the Halloween, uh, not reboot exactly, but. Yeah, whatever it is, reimagine. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, uh, so we were supposed to get that. And then, you know, when Candyman was delayed, it was pushed back to October. And now October is just kind of devoid of anything you know wonder woman was supposed to release in october at one point um and everything is just being pushed back uh you know it's big big on twitter with like lots of memes of uh, just pictures of like martin scorsese lifting his hands up uh because 2020 <laughs> is the first year without marvel movies in the in literally in a decade since uh i think 2009 was the last year that we didn't have any marvel movies um and yeah i mean there's there's really nothing here. Uh, I'm looking at this Variety article, and it talks about, um, you know, it has when is the next release for each studio. And, you know, there's like Fox has one on October 23rd. <laughs> uh, Paramount doesn't have another release until December 18th. But like you said, with Coming to America, nobody's heard anything about that movie other than that it's confirmed. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't expect this to be the permanent release schedule. I very much expect to see a lot of this pushback even further um just as we kind of see more of what this is going to look like virus wise for the world and, and especially for the states uh here in the next few months as it really gets tougher to deal with yeah and we're, we're gonna see some movies try to sneak into limited theaters just because it's been the whole push and pull that we've been talking about for a while where some of these smaller movies are going to try to go into theaters because, hey, literally nothing else is there. So for people who want to risk it and go to theaters, there's something new. So next week is uh, Possessor, which is a movie that just fried my brain when I saw it at Sundance. feels like forever ago. Uh, that movie is just insane. And that might, I hope that goes on streaming really, really soon because I think that would be a really good um, just freak out horror movie for people to watch um but yeah other than that you mentioned the the fox release on the 23rd which is the empty man which stars james badgedale who i really like he's a really good character actor but he's not exactly selling a bunch of tickets there and that movie it seems like it's going to be a little smaller so yeah i always love to see like the big high profile horror movies come out around um october and it seems like 
that we'll have to rely on Rebecca this year. And Rebecca isn't really a horror movie. It's just more of a, there's a ghostly presence or, or malevolent presence in that movie. Um, but um, yeah, it's just, <laughs> we don't really have much. It's really, really sad. I, I'm very, I'm becoming more pessimistic with each pushback. I don't really see no time to die and soul sticking to that November 20th date. Um, and those, so I, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really, really depressing to look at the schedule now. Yeah. And I mean, especially since those two are competing. So even if, you know, your audience for no time to die, isn't going to be the exact same audience as it is for soul. That's still going to be the first major release date in, you know, that'll have been almost two and a half months from tenant at that point. Um, so I really don't see those two competing based on the success Disney supposedly had with uh, Onward back in March, which had like a week of release before um, we decided to take things seriously and everything shut down, um, which supposedly did pretty well on uh, Disney Plus. But, you know, that was also at the beginning of quarantine when everybody was like, oh, I have all this time. Um, so I'm not sure how that'll do, you know, in the in the later part of the year when a lot of the country is opened back up, but if they're, you know, still particular segments of it, um, like theaters that are not opening up very strongly. Um, so I, I really don't know if, if it'll stick to that date and go hybrid or just abandon that date. I wouldn't be surprised if no time to die got pushed back quite a bit. I mean, we saw how aggressive some of the studios were like, as soon as things were getting pushed back, like, uh, F nine, the, what's it called? The fast saga push back a year already and that was in April. Um so I wouldn't be surprised to see No Time to Die try and find a better release date, you know, maybe next summer or even next spring. Yeah, and it does seem like the the few movies that have done really well in the premium VOD have been those kids movies. So you had like Trolls World Tour and also Onward which you mentioned. So maybe and there are there have been a lot of rumors about Soul going to Disney Plus and even though Mulan reportedly just didn't do very well in that space, I think Soul would fare a lot better. Just because, I mean, we look at the Netflix top 10 every single week, and there's always like 10, it's always whatever new movie they release, so like The Devil All the Time and like nine other kids' movies. <laughs> That's really it. So I think they would, that would be a smart choice for them, just in terms of getting some money back on that. But yeah, it's, obviously, we still haven't figured out quite how to recoup all of the money that, so would probably make in theaters like we know like all these pixar movies now if they're relatively good which most of them are they make a ton of money around the holidays and even something like coco which just had no kind of like it wasn't a sequel from pixar or anything like that that just did crazy numbers at the box office so soul would have been like easily above probably half a billion dollars at the box office and there's just no way to recoup that at the uh, at the premium vod scale right now yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> I know we've been talking about this for like six months, but it's just wild to like watch things abandon release dates and, and movies that should be pretty surefire successes or just like unsure if they can, you know, even get close to turning a profit. I mean, even Tenet, which was, you know, the movie to save all movies, um, you know, really struggled. And Mulan either was the biggest success ever or made absolutely nothing. Um, it's just what a weird time to be looking at box office results. Yeah, it's when we are, we start, we are still tracking tenant a little bit and we kind of our suspicions last week about like, Oh, it might just drop really, really small percentages week to week seems to be in a play here. It's only dropped like 25% or something like that. 
this go around. But yeah, it's just it's, it just doesn't seem like there's really any good choice for studios right now. So it's like, what is the least bad choice in covering our losses? And in a lot of ways, that's just like pushing it back and figuring out what to do at a later date and just for as long as possible. But yeah, it's just, we've been, it's, it feels like it's just like a lot of the same for many, many months where it's just, we, all these studios just need to make money, but they also need to make a lot more than they probably can right now. So it's just that it's a really tough push and pull that I don't think anyone really knows the answer to still. Christopher Nolan knows the answer. (laughs) When Interstellar 2 comes out, it'll save it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's there's really uh, not going to be a lot to talk about box office wise. I mean, Star Wars came back, Empire Strikes Back this week and made a little over 900,000, which is pretty impressive for a 40 year old movie that's been in release most of the summer already. Um, but yeah, other than that, there's just not a lot of momentum for anything. Yeah, and um, I would really love for people to go see Possessor next week, but obviously be safe. I think that movie's also only playing in drive ins. So maybe that can, that's your really good alternative, but I really want to make a possessor pod or just like maybe just talk to myself on a pod for like three hours about that movie. (laughs) So I hope people see it (laughs) and listen to me go nuts about it next week. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that is what's going on or will not be going on in the box office. Uh, But fortunately Netflix is still here to regularly just drop stuff. Um, Whether or not you'll still talk about it a week later remains to be seen. Uh, but they did release Enola Holmes this week, which dropped on Wednesday. Um, I'm still not quite sure why they dropped it on Wednesday. I think like the last huge release they did that with was The Irishman, and that made sense because it was right before Thanksgiving. Uh, but for whatever reason, Enola Holmes came out this Wednesday, um, and that's starring Millie Bobby Brown, who is just kind of Netflix's most reliable child actor at this point. Um, and then Henry Cavill, who, you know, he he struggles with getting roles that, you know, are well-written. Um, but he's slowly becoming like one of my favorite actors. I think part of it is like, yeah, he started off, um, working in like man or like coming to fame in man of steel and Batman V Superman. But now that I'm like seeing him in things outside of that, he's really grown on me. Yeah. He is so damn charming in this movie. Just everyone is, um, especially Millie Bobby Brown, who I feel like I was kind of the same way with her. I mean, cause you watch Stranger Things, and she's really good in that, but that's also a role where she's not really, like, she's very stoic, right? Like, she's just grunt, she's just, like, yelling and, like, bleeding out of her nose, and she's not, obviously, she's not spouting a bunch of dialogue over and over again. And I feel like, other than that, the only thing I had really seen her in was uh, King of the Monsters, which is another movie where she's just yelling <laughs> at CGI for, like, two and a half hours. So, I feel like this movie was the first time that I really got the chance to be like, all right, what kind of actress are you? And I thought she was incredible in this movie. I loved her. Like, cause they're doing, so the director of this movie also directed, I think all of Fleabag. And so all of like the talking directly to the camera is like very much like that connection is very clear. And she's and like, you can get to that point where that's really gimmicky, but she does, she pulls it off so well. Like she is so charming in this. And then yeah, Henry Cavill, it's great when he doesn't have to make like a, a grunty face like he's looks like he's pooping when he does when he's superman <laughs> like he actually gets to talk and be really charismatic and you could 
it's funny because you could like pluck out Sherlock Holmes out of this movie and it really wouldn't matter. It wouldn't change much, but I don't really care because I just like seeing him being a super charming guy. Yeah. And I think kind of like you said, when, when they start the fourth wall breaks, I really thought it was going to annoy me. Um, cause you know, I feel like it's, it's kind of in that way where, oh, Deadpool did it. And, you know, everybody loved Deadpool. So I feel like a lot of movies are still trying to force kind of that shtick on themselves. Um, uh, but yeah, I think she carries it really well. Like it's just very cheeky. Um, this movie really reminded me of the personal history of David Copperfield that came out, um, you know, about six weeks ago. And the fact that it's just like, just constantly charming. Like it's just a it's just a happy movie. It just kind of fills you with joy the entire time. Um, so I, I definitely stand Anola Holmes um, and, and everybody in it, kind of like you said, like her and Henry Cavill. And uh, I can't remember her name, but the lady that played uh, Madame Maxine and Harry Potter is there just like being an old British woman. Um, just, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's. It's so true because I haven't seen Fleabag, but like every time you hear people talk about it, they're like, yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. So I, I probably should go back into it. But they, more, they mold the the fourth wall breaking in so well in this where since this is Enola Holmes, it's really like a feminist rewrite of a lot of Sherlock Holmes tales. And so she's kind of self-aware of the general beats that a lot of these stories go. And I thought it, it just works really, really well. Uh, yeah, there's like some plotting stuff with this movie that – uh, doesn't really work, but even when it starts to get a little rocky, like I really don't care because all these people play so well off each other. And Sam Claflin is really good too, as um, the other as the other Holmes uh, brother. He's just really, really good, and I think he's starting to find his lane. Um, this and um, what else was the other movie he was in where he was playing a really despicable guy? Oh, The Nightingale. As he's just an awful person in that movie. I feel like he's starting to find his lane. It's just, just playing really terrible people. <laughs> uh, but I really liked him in this movie too. And how the bond Carter who probably shot for like two days in this movie and probably got a nice paycheck for it, but she's also really charming. Um, yeah. I think this movie is setting up for a sequel too, uh, obviously because they want to keep going this. And I, for me, it's like, bring it on. I'd love to see some sort of case being solved by both Enola Holmes and um, Sherlock with Henry Cavill and really Bobby Brown. I think that would just be great. It'd just be really, really fun. Yeah. I also want to give a shout out to uh, Bern Gorman, who is probably most famous for being Ben Mendelsohn's uh, kind of like slimy sidekick in the dark Knight rises, um, who is in this movie, just like as this crazy assassin um, who's just like, he brings a lot of intensity to a movie that's like for the most part, just like, pretty happy and kind of easygoing. Um, but then he's just like trying to murder people pretty violently uh, throughout the movie. I think he does a good job of that. And I think he like balances it out. So that this movie never gets like too whimsical or too cheesy. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely stand. My only real complaint is that there's like the chemistry between the two main characters. So Enola um, and she meets this just like British Lord in training. Um, it feels like they couldn't decide if they wanted it to be like a movie about their platonic friendship or like a budding romance. Um, and it feels like sometimes the movie just like can't commit to either beat. So it's like leading them in the romantic direction. And then they're like best friends going on an adventure. 
Um, and I just wish it would have like committed to one. It feels like they were, you know, putting this romance in the movie and we're like, you know what, maybe we shouldn't sexualize children. And then we're like, you know what, but they're best friends, but there's this romantic tension between them the whole time. And that's really the only time I got pulled out of the movie was just when they were just kind of sitting there, <laughs> letting this beat sort of sit on the screen. Yeah. And there's, there's also, without giving too away too much away from this, there's also a subplot with bombs that just never comes around. <laughs> and then in the end, I was like, "Wait, what happened there? We're not gonna get a, we're not gonna get that answered." And that's just that leaves left me with many more questions that I don't think this movie ever wanted to answer. But yeah, I, I it, in a lot of ways, it is a really really good Netflix movie because it's not you don't have to pay crazy attention to it. Something like I'm thinking of ending things where you have to really stare at each frame to figure out what's happening in that movie in this you can kind of just look at your phone and relax sit back enjoy millie bobby brown being super charming then you see henry cavill jump in and do the same for a couple minutes it's just super light it's i don't want to say lightweight and in a dismissive way but it's just it's really calming you can do fold your laundry (laughs) while you're doing it and still get a lot out of it uh i think in many ways this is the the vein of movie that Netflix should be trying to make a lot. Cause it just, it just, I can't really see anyone being like, I hate this movie. This is really stupid. But at like the worst, I see people thinking this was just a really fun, enjoyable time that I can probably put on three more times when I'm doing something else. Yeah. The only other thing that kind of pulled me out is uh, Henry Cavill speaking with his own British accent because <laughs> he's played american roles just so often like I, I don't think he's at least in a movie that i've seen which is all but like two of the movies he's been in in the last 10 years i don't think i've seen him use his actual accent since immortals in 2011 like he normally is just an american he has a pretty good american accent and so like when he started speaking it sounded like henry cavill but just off and i was like wait oh yeah he actually is british like <laughs> this was a big <laughs> deal when they cast him as superman um but yeah it's just like kind of strange that his actual accent is the one that seems foreign to me yeah i'm always the same with millie bobby brown too where i always forget that she's british (laughs) and i was also thinking i was thinking of like oh yeah when has he been able to use his british accent and it's really not much because he he's just grunting a lot in the witcher and even in the man from uncle which feels like it's a spy movie it feels like he could probably be able to just talk regularly like no he's in the CIA or whatever he's from America. So um, yeah, he just never gets a chance to do it. And it is funny because you can sometimes, you can sometimes get a little stiff in movies, I feel, but I think it's like you said before, he, he's really trying to elevate a lot of poorly written characters. So anytime he just gets to just be really dashing. And I think the man from uncle is just like the, the peak of his acting for me. He is just, so charismatic and just like he's beautiful to look at and him and army hammer just bickering at each other and it's just so so lovely i would yeah i I really want to see more from him where he can just be super super charming and i hope that since he's such a big dude and i hope he'll probably get a lot of action roles thrown his way i hope there are some where he can just be super dashing english man he can just be himself yeah really Uh, (laughs) yeah i know there's a lot of people pulling for him to be the next james bond which if i'm not mistaken i'm pretty sure they've already 
pretty much said that Lashana Lynch is the next James Bond, uh, which is, you know, kind of her whole point of being in the next movie. Uh, but before I digress too much, yeah, it's just like, it's funny though, because most of his roles are really aggressively American. Like you mentioned the man from uncle and like, you know, that whole thing is this conflict between like the, the typical uh, or stereotypical American spy versus the stereotypical Russian. So he's like this smooth talking white collar American criminal in that movie. And even like mission impossible where he's just like the roughest hammer guy that the CIA has in their reserves. Um, and I mean, Superman is about as aggressively American as you can get. Um, so it is, it's just funny to see him just like return and become, you know, one of the, probably the biggest British character ever as Sherlock Holmes in this movie. Yeah. I would love to see, cause I'm not a crazy Sherlock Holmes fan. I, I mean, I think he's a fun character, but I just haven't watched like the thousands of shows that have had him in it. So I don't really, I'm not really well versed in that lore. So I'm curious to see what people who really love Sherlock and the Benedict Cumberbatch and all the other versions of it, what they think of it. Cause I feel like this is definitely like a different version of Sherlock. So maybe they think he really sucks. It'd be really funny where it's just like, Hey, I just thought he was kind of fun. Yeah. Maybe he's, not solving a lot of stuff in this movie, but I feel like that's also kind of the point of this because it's really a Nola story and a feminist take on a lot of these tales. So I think he, yeah, he really plays the role really well and he's just a wonderful addition to this and he, he'll pop in for a minute every so often. And you're like, oh, this was just a really good breath of fresh air from the story. He just always livens it up a little bit. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, cinematic universe i want to see more of um and netflix tends to be a little bit more generous with movie sequels than they have been with uh multiple seasons of a tv show so hopefully we'll see see more of enola and sherlock and you know, even mycroft the underrated homes <laughs> um but then there was another release um that at least I didn't see this week i don't think you saw it this week as well but we did see it at sundance and it was just probably the most bizarre hour and a half I spent there. And I saw a lot of rather bizarre things. I did not see Processor, but uh, Kajillionaire, which um, is just this really funny movie. Um, that's kind of been my biggest takeaway from it in the last nine months since I saw it. It's just like how funny a lot of the physical comedy was. Um, so that's Evan Rachel Wood. And she's like a 26-year-old. Uh, who still lives with her grifter parents who have just like raised her to steal from people's mailboxes and resell things and like fake cashier's checks and win contests so they can have money. Um, and it's just like this really bizarre movie. They live in a, like an old warehouse that's constantly leaking bubbles uh, through the <laughs> wall <laughs> from this factory next to it. Um, like the opening sequence is Evan Rachel Wood, like army crawling and like, parkouring into a post office so she can avoid the cameras and steal other people's mail um, and there's just like a lot of funny bizarre gags to this movie um, that have really made it stick out when I think of everything I saw back in January yeah and so this was written and directed by Miranda July who I haven't seen any of her other movies she's done, she's done two others and the big one that a lot of people seem to really like is me and you and everyone we know which I think has a Criterion release as well, but everyone really seems to like that movie. But 
yeah, it's, it was <laughs> not knowing a lot about her filmography. This was definitely a very strange, but definitely worthwhile movie. Uh, it was also one of those, I really, I really need to go back and revisit it. Cause it was one of those screenings where I was just exhausted. <laughs> it was probably like, like the third or fourth movie, probably the fourth movie of that day. It was a late night screening. Um, it was really funny because we're going to keep spoilers out of this because there is a revelation in this movie of sorts. But at the end of it, I, I turned to you and you're like, did you realize that was happening the entire time? And you were like, yeah. I was like, oh, I guess I'm just really dumb. I didn't notice it. So it's definitely in the moment. It was a movie that I probably undersold and I would love to go back and see it because it, weirdly it has been one that I have been thinking about a lot. Because, like you said, all of just the bizarre gags in it and the parents are Deborah Winger and Richard Jenkins, who are just really, really good in this and really scummy, but like lovably scummy uh, uh, parents. And Gina Rodriguez comes into this, too, and she starts to help the family out with all of their scams and try to get money in any way possible. But, yeah, this is a, it's a really, really... Um, intelligent and almost experimental. It's just very, very out there, this movie. And it takes a lot of weird chances that I think work. Um, I, uh, it didn't do great in uh, theaters this week, obviously, just nothing is doing great. So I hope this movie comes to VOD soon and people check it out because I think it's really terrific. And I, I would love to go back and see it again so I can probably sing its praises a little more. Yeah, every now and then I'll like look back at my letterbox list for all the Sundance movies we saw. And it's surprising like how many that I rated higher in the moment I haven't thought of once since I left. But this one that was like closer to the middle of the pack on my original list, like I've thought about way more often. And it's just it's really stuck with me because of how funny and just how bizarre it is. Um, but it also it has some pretty strong heartfelt moments because, you know, obviously with this being a movie about a family and um, there's a lot of family tension and and evan rachel wood's character trying to like figure out who she is apart from her parents but also you know trying to love and respect the people that raised her and and just trying to find herself amidst all that uh, which is is a great thing on top of all these just hilarious gags um like i just remember laughing my ass off at her just like rolling under a barrier in front of the post office <laughs> The first 10 minutes of this movie are terrific. Uh, I, I think they were just so funny. Yeah, like I'm actually looking at my letterbox ratings now, and I rated, you remember Worth? You remember that movie with Michael Keaton, which is um, a very downer, depressing movie? I had that rated <laughs> better than Gajillionaire. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those where I really need to revisit it because, yeah, I think we both, we both talked about it a lot the rest of the week. And I, I've watched the trailer a few times and you get reminded of all the really funny things in it. And even some of them, really, there's really good side characters who come in and have a really good scene or two kind of in like a Coen Brothers way where you'll never see them again. And they're just really funny. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those movies that I need. I really makes me want to go back and watch more of Miranda July stuff because she's just very she's a very distinct voice. And we obviously need just more of that in general. But yeah, I, I hope people see it because, yeah, Evan Rachel Wood is terrific in this. And I wonder if when there's just like no other movies, maybe she gets like a weird backdoor nomination, which would be really, really funny. Uh, just kind of like it would just 
express how weird this year has been in movies because that's such an offbeat performance and it would never get any consideration in other years just because it's so weird and all of the weird boomer voters would just be very concerned and weird about and weirded out by it <laughs> but yeah i think this movie is terrific and i hope everyone checks it out i really want it to go on vod i hope it figures out that theaters probably aren't the way to go and so that more people can see it because i think it does deserve a bigger audience and i think people will really like it there's a lot of fun interesting things that we we're keeping secret in, in it that are really terrific yeah, I could really see this becoming a cult movie, kind of like the way every Lonely Island movie has, where it's just <laughs> like completely fallen on its face at the box office. But then, you know, here we are five years outside of Popstar, and it's still a very talked-about comedy. Um, although I'm not a big Hot Rod fan, that movie has just grown crazily since it released. Um, so I'm hoping if Kajillionaire doesn't take off right now, just in the midst of everything, I'm hoping that it... It gets the Lonely Island treatment down the road. Yeah, me too. It's it's sense of comedy is it's weird, uh, but it's also in a way where I think a lot of people can pick up what it's doing and really enjoy it. So yeah, absolutely. So that is Kajillionaire, uh, which wraps up the new releases. Um, and we do also want to talk about a little bit of what we've been watching independently. Uh, so I'll let you take that away. Yeah, so I, I've i had the sneaking suspicion for the longest time that the Coen brothers are my favorite directors. So I finally started to just fill in the holes in their filmography of movies I haven't seen. So I, I caught up with their first two movies over the last week, which was Blood Simple and Raising Arizona. And obviously I love both of them. And it is so amazing to see just how confident they were as directors and writers right from the start. Because... Those movies are so assured and every single move in the in them are just so thought out and so well planned. And it's funny just how different they are where Blood Simple is like this darkly comedic neo-noir in a way that the Coens do where they really hate all of their characters and are just ridiculing them for how stupid they are. And then you have Raising Arizona where it's just an iconic Nick Cage performance, just really, really funny and goofy and Holly Hunter and John Goodman are terrific in it too. Um, it's, it's just amazing. Like it really, like I would have loved to trans be transported back to the eighties and watch both of these movies in theaters and just realize, Oh, like these two guys are going to be in the conversation for so many more decades. <laughs> these movies are just so amazing. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of their earlier stuff. I feel like I've seen most of their big hits, but yeah, those are, those are gaps in my Coen brothers knowledge. I really think, I think raising Arizona is a movie you would love. It's just so goofy and Nick Cage is just off the wall and cr just a crazy, uh, rednecky accent and same with John Goodman. And it's just, it's so, so funny. And it's, <laughs> and for people who don't know, it's about, uh, Nick Cage is a convict, uh, and he starts dating Holly Hunter, who was a cop, but has since left the force. And they steal a baby <laughs> from <laughs> a family who had five because they figure they already have enough babies and they can deal with having one less. So they take their fifth baby. <laughs> so it's this really <laughs> hilarious look at raising a family. And they're also convicts. And then John Goodman is his convict friend who breaks out of prison and runs and causes uh, a, a ruckus. And it's just it's so, so funny. And there's this crazy biker dude who's basically like a stand-in for death or for death or a pending doom as like a lot of 
Coen Brothers movies are. It's it's like a really it's like a funny take on Anton Chigurh almost. Uh, but it's I think that you would love it. I think it it, it it really I was watching it. I was like, this is a movie for Colin. Yeah, I've been trying to complete more of my Coen Brothers viewings because I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of the big stuff like True Grit and, of course, No Country for Old Men. Uh, you and I have talked about Hell Caesar quite a bit. Uh, I will always stand that movie. I love Fargo and the Fargo TV show, which I know we're not TV babble, but that that show is phenomenal. <laughs> um, so I definitely need to get into some of their earlier stuff and fill in my Coen, Bl- Coen Brothers blanks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to come at the movies that I still have to watch. So I haven't seen Miller's Crossing, which is the next one in their filmography. Um, I've actually also never seen Fargo. I'm telling on myself that that's a really bad one I have never seen. Um, but yeah, I just, I love a lot of their stuff. Um, I also haven't seen their True Grit. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the True Grits. Um, but yeah, I love so much of their stuff. Uh, I When people ask me my favorite movie, I always say Inside Lewin Davis is my favorite. Um, so it has just been a really cool exercise and just saying like, yeah, these guys were kind of unbelievable from the beginning and both of those raising Arizona and blood simple are just so iconic in their own ways. And they're so, so different, but they have a lot of that cynical, just like the world is out to get us and the absurdity of life is just so crazy thing that the Coens really like to inject in all of their movies. Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen either of those, they're just, they're so terrific. I can't recommend them enough. Yeah, and it's interesting because their next movie is the first one that's just the Cohen brother uh, as a director. So this is the first one they're not doing together. Um, so I'm interested to see how that turns out, especially with it being uh, the tragedy of Macbeth. So it's going to be a pretty familiar story um, just to see like what new take they can bring to Shakespeare, who you know really hasn't been done a whole lot in Hollywood, you know. Uh, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's Denzel and Francis McDormand in that movie too. Which is yeah. just, that's just amazing. I would, that's such a crazy, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a little different. It's off the beaten path, but for, to star in a Macbeth movie, but that just sounds so cool. I can't wait to see that. Um, so yeah, we stand Kajillionaire. We stand the Coen brothers. <laughs> um, and as for me, I've, I've been in kind of, uh, an inability to watch, uh, movies for the most part. Uh, just with the semester picking up, but I did make it a point to go to the drive-in this past week. So they're doing like every Monday night for the next month, they're doing horror movies. Uh, So this week they were doing creep show and then a, so it was a George Romero triple feature. Um, I only stayed for a double feature because not staying up till three on a school night. (laughs) Um, But I saw creep show, which has been one of my favorite and least favorite movies for a long time. Um, I think I first saw that when I was probably like 10 or 11. Um, and there's one sequence with a, basically it's like a little midget sized Sasquatch that eats people. Um, that just <laughs> scared me for years. Um, there was like a two year stretch after I watched creep show where every time I went outside at night, I would check around every corner. Cause I thought this thing was coming for me. Um, <laughs> so I saw that again on the big screen. Um, and like seeing it on the big screen, um, it really wasn't as scary as I remember. It's just kind of downright funny in parts. Stephen King uh, has a short that he acts in in that movie uh, where he plays like this hick guy in the country that touches a meteor and starts growing moss all over himself, uh, which is just like <laughs> his character's name is Jordy. And so it's just like Stephen King saying the name Jordy and like mumbling around his little shack in the middle of nowhere. 
which is really funny. Uh, but then the second half of the double feature that we did was Dawn of the Dead, which I had never seen. So I'd seen Night of the Living Dead. Um, and I understood that like zombies were a metaphor for consumerism, but I never really got why uh, until I saw Dawn of the Dead, which is like where that idea really comes from. And it's just, it's everything I love about what horror can be, where it's gross and disgusting and creepy, uh, but also has like a social punch to it, uh, which I think we've seen a little bit more of a focus on that recently with, you know, Get Out and Us, and even if apparently it wasn't that great Annabellum. Uh, but like just this commentary that Romero has on just like how much people love stuff and love the experience of stuff. Um, amidst the fact that like these four survivors are trying not to be eaten alive constantly. Um, and there's just some really great kills. I learned where a meme came from watching that movie on Monday night, <laughs> uh, which is always exciting. <laughs> um, but yeah, like just Romero being the best at what he does. I mean, he's kind of the zombie guy and it just, it's a sequel to night of the living dead, but it feels like such a different movie. Um, just conceptually the way he treats the zombies, the way he treats the main characters, um, just definitely one of the best horror movies of all time, in my opinion. Yeah. My, one of my favorite stories about Dawn of the Dead is, so they shot it all in this mall and they only had access to it off hours. So as soon as the mall closed, they had to bring in all of their stuff and set up really quickly and, sh and they would shoot all night and then ha they would have to clear out before the mall would open the next morning, which also is kind of a funny way of looking at the idea of consumerism in that movie too, where they had to clear out to make sure that everyone could buy their stuff. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, and it really plays into the movie too, because it's, it's such a running gun movie where people are just flying all over the place and, I like there's that one part where they're throwing pies into the zombies face faces that I thought was really, really funny. And there, yeah, there's the good, the, the iconic uh, head explosion in there too. Yeah. It's just, it is really funny where you watch movies like this and you see like a lot of other cinema, capital C cinema makes sense. Cause you see this of such an iconic thing or, Oh, okay. So this sprinkled off into all these other movies and all these remakes and things like that. So it, I, I always love when I get to like fill a big hole like that um, and just see kind of where, how cinema was created at large. I think it's really cool. Yeah. It really put the first zombie land into perspective for me as well. Cause you see where like a lot of these tropes and the way we like look at zombies, um, where we're like where it comes from. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, Night of the Living Dead is obviously the first one, but the way that it treats zombies and like how they work, since it was not necessarily creating them from scratch, but really creating our modern idea of them. Um, you see how like all of his ideas were kind of fleshed out and evolved with this movie and just kind of the herd mentality and how they have like memories of things they used to do sort of um, and the way they eat people. And they even talk about how like, have you ever known, like there's a, a news documentary going on throughout the the movie within the movie um and it talks about like have you ever noticed how they're only eating like four percent of a person before they get back up um it just really establishes like a lot of the tropes that have bled off into you know thousands of other movies and tv shows since then yeah it's it's really iconic and i actually haven't seen creep show um and i know that's built up quite a following in the years since um but yeah like 
I would I would really love to see that. And that feels like a good midnight drive-in theater kind of movie since it's, it sounds like it's really goofy and also a little horror, a lot of horror vibes in there as well. Creep show is just a good time. Um, I mean, like Leslie Nielsen plays the bad guy in the first short, uh, which is just an interesting role for him because he's like the he's the most serious character um, in the short that he's in, which if you know anything about Leslie Nielsen is just he's never the most serious character or even close to that. Um, and it's just like fun to watch him like Ted Danson's in that short with him. Ed Harris is in it um, in the earlier half of the movie. Uh, the crate will always terrify me. Uh, the thing with the little Yeti Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it, that eats people. Um, there's one that's just like a man finds cockroaches in his apartment. Uh, it's just, it's just a great time. Yeah, it's. I really need to see it. I'm, I'm definitely trying to plan a big October just run of seeing a bunch of horror movies I'd never seen before, and I think Creepshow might have to be an addition in there because I really do want to see it. Yeah, I know a lot of people were starting their October marathon or their Halloween marathons in September. Um, I just don't feel like mixing my holidays like that. You know, I'm not going to start watching Christmas <laughs> movies in October. So why would I start watching Halloween movies in September? Yeah, I mean, this year I kind of get it where people are like, I literally have nothing to do. <laughs> so I kind of get it. We're like, yeah, just do whatever you want. Just to, whatever for your mental health, whatever makes you feel better. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I almost started last night. I start every October off watching what we do in the shadows. And that's kind of my first Halloween movie for the year. And I like pulled it out <laughs> last night and then was like, I don't really think I have a movie in me. I'm kind of tired. I just want to zone out. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I need to rewatch that scene too. I love that movie so much. <laughs> so yeah, that is, uh, that is George A. Romero. Uh, what a guy. What a guy. What a picture. Um, but yeah, that pretty much wraps up everything going on. I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot more Halloween-centric movies just because the October box office is pretty empty. Um, but that is this week's episode of the Movie Babble podcast. Remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. Bye.